you're listening to How I See It, hosted by Han. You guessed it, that's me. I am here to motivate and inspire you with guests from all different industries and backgrounds. So get ready for personal stories of success, of growth, full of highs and lows, and of course, unapologetic realness. This is How I See It. Okay, you guys, I'm here with Julianne Frazier. She is the founder and expert of digital marketing of Dialogue, which is in New York. Dialogue is a global influencer marketing agency on a mission to thoughtfully connect brands with creatives, which I love. I love your mission. So cool. <laughs> um, she's worked with brands like Saqqara, Seed, Brooklinen, Redone. And I'll just let you take it away because I'm so excited to hear just like the ins and outs of your story, but I'm so happy you're here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm originally from um, Western Canada. So I was born and raised in Canada and so I- cool initially um, came to New York like 11 years ago and went to FIT. That was sort of my foray into the the Big Apple. Um, And, you know, coming out of FIT, I kind of stumbled into a social media coordinator role, which at the time, like nobody cared about, nobody was paying attention to it. Instagram had just launched. It wasn't really part of brands marketing strategies. And um, I started at Morgan's Hotel Group, which is a really, really iconic boutique hotel company. Um, yeah, super cool. Yeah, the same founder owns Edition and Public nowadays and whatnot. Um, and so that first job allowed me to kind of dabble and test and try in the world of influencer marketing. So we were doing campaigns with Kiara Fragni and Ami Song and um, the you OGs, know, like the OOGs and in exchange for like a hotel room. It was very different back then. So crazy. Um, that's sort of how it started. And then from there, I moved over to Lacoste to manage their digital communications in North America. And after that, joined sort of a startup accelerator and helped brands, um, you know, build out their influencer programs. And throughout, you know, all the various jobs I did from corporate to startup, I was kind of recognizing there was this wild, wild west of influencer marketing, so many different approaches to it. Uh, I love that and- you call it that. Like oh, the wild, wild west. Now? It's a perfect name for what this industry yeah. is. <laughs> it's wilder today than it was when I started my company six years ago. Like it is wild. And I say yeah. that, you know, there's so many approaches. There's PR firms that understand the creativity and relationships behind influence marketing. Uh, there's performance marketing agencies that understands the importance of trackability and really measuring returns and affiliate And then there's platforms that have evolved to try and, you know, blanket and kind of make influencer marketing easier, Grin, Tribe Dynamics, Creator IQ. And so throughout, you know, my career, I was seeing all these different um, approaches and I felt like there was an opportunity to combine a more holistic sort of approach that encompasses all of it. And so I launched Dialogue six years ago. Um, We work with really like a wide variety from... Shiseido and Adidas on the corporate end to Brooklinen, Sakar Life, Seed, Harry's, um, you know, Baboon to the Moon, Grilled, um, so cool. Redone, and then a lot of really awesome early stage startups, Gia and Olipop and Swoon and um, Ami Cole and whatnot Gold. So, you know, our approach really varies depending on the life cycle of the brand, but we have kind of crafted this unique approach that separates us and you know we're doing our best to navigate that wild wild west so yeah I think especially like on my end just like being the the influencer and receiver of like inquiries and like pitching to like PR companies Mm -hmm. and different brands like it's definitely interesting 
because I started six years ago doing this as well. And I started full time three and a half years ago. I went full time with it. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like I've kind of seen like all of the stages as well of like where it used to be and like kind of where it's heading. And I feel like on my end, like it's so much nicer dealing directly with Mm -hmm. like the brand or the person representing the brand. Mm -hmm. Like as much as like Grin and Maverick and all of these platforms have made collaborations like easier I guess Mm -hmm. you could say it's almost at the same time not because it's so hard to feel like there's like a personal connection whatsoever like I feel like I'm not talking to a real person I don't know like who Mm -hmm. I'm talking to I don't know like how to get a a hold of like my contact really and I feel Mm -hmm. like it does kind of make it messy and it can make almost collaborations not as organized or not as like authentic not as like straightforward because you don't really have like a brand contact yeah and I mean from the brand's point of view like yes surely you can click a button and you know email a thousand influencers in a second but you don't have control over the curation really and the thoughtfulness of partners and so much of what our team does is thinking through the objective of our client's product and you know who they're trying to target what's the message of a campaign who's the right creative to translate that, has that partner tried seed probiotics, for example? Like, are we just yeah. going to like work with someone who's never even tried a probiotic before? Like that curation and thoughtfulness of, you know, how we pair brands with creatives is so crucial to the success of it. And like you said, it, it's so much more authentic because when we can, you know, get on a phone call with the creative and, and ask them their point of view and what's their personal story and get them to translate our brief into something that will resonate with their audience it performs so much better. So it's in the, the best interest yeah. for the brands too, to, to be more thoughtful and personal with their approach. So when you started Dialogue, where, was that like kind of the forefront of why you decided to start a company? Like, were you always trying to like eventually start your own thing? Like, were you always entrepreneurial or did you just see this like need for a more authentic communication between brands and influencers? Yeah, I never thought of being an entrepreneur, to be honest. It's not like I had that in my game plan. Um, I was working at a, a, an agency at the time and I was uh, running and managing their their influencer work and sort of realizing I can do this on my own and I can do this better. Yeah. Um, so it sparked honestly with like over a, a lunch with friends and, you know, a glass of rosé and they're like, Julia, <laughs> do this. Like, what do you, and I'm like, what do you mean? I can't do this. So yeah, it happened very organically. And honestly, I, I was just guest lecturing actually this morning um, at FIT and I was explaining that it happened so humbly. Like I started with a laptop and email and my old boss at Lacoste was the VP of um, marketing at Shiseido at the time. And she wow. said, okay, great. Like I'll be your first client. And it was just through one connection. I didn't have a website. I didn't have marketing. I didn't have social for my agency. And I think sometimes there's so much pressure to have this like big launch moment when really I put my head down, I did great work. It started with Shiseido and then the next client, the next client and built over time. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a very um, slow underground approach to building it. And now we're, you know, a team of 10, our offices are in Williamsburg. We've had some incredible clients, but it, wow. you know, it's built over six years. It wasn't just, you know, magic within the first six months. Everyone's wanting to know like, how to become an influencer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It takes time. And like Mm -hmm. looking back on like my first couple of years of content creation, it's very humbling. 
the cool thing now is that there's lots of podcasts or there's lots of like classes, even programs that like top tier influencers have created to like sell to micro influencers to learn how to do this. But like when I started, like people weren't doing that. Like I was just like trying to figure out how to even send a pitch or like what my reach should look like or like how to even invoice a brand. Just sent like hundreds of cold pitches to like everyone. I was like Googling on LinkedIn people's email contacts. It was just such a different world. It's not as like, same with, with building my consultancy, you know, it was one client and then a referral to the next. And it was me and like, my robe at home, you know, doing the work. It wasn't like a team and a fancy thing. It was just me starting, but being so focused on the quality of my work and my reputation being like paramount, just making sure that, you know, my clients were happy. I was authentic. I had integrity. Um, and really like being so razor focused on that, that's how it grew over time for referrals. And I'm sure it's the same as a creative because, you know, if you do an amazing job and you're easy to work with and you're creative and you come to the table with like a lot of passion to when working with a brand that spreads. I mean, we manage a huge amount of brands. So if we love working with a creative talent for one, there's tons of opportunities within our agency, but also within our network, you know, this, this world of influencers is big, but it's not that big and people talk. So it is so much about, you know, your authenticity, your integrity, um, whether it's on like the brand side or the creator side. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. I started How Hand Sees It because I felt there was a need for more authenticity. And this was six years ago. So like TikTok didn't exist. Like people weren't coming on and talking about their mental health or like what they were going through or their day-to-day life as much. Thankfully things have shifted and like the internet is becoming more transparent, which is awesome. But like back then that's why like my like catchphrase became like unapologetic fashion and lifestyle, like living authentically. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to start seeing more people just talk and like be authentic about what they love. And I think that it translates into business too. Like obviously not accepting campaigns that you don't align with, but also Mm -hmm. like being authentic with like your contacts about what's going on too. Like if I do mess up, I want to like own it and like try and like do extra to show them I care people in this industry have become like kind of like too focused on like leveling up and like securing deals, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. Like I talk a lot about like leveling up and treating this as a business, but I think at the forefront, people forget like the mission behind what they're doing on social media and what makes influencers different from an ad, a commercial, an actor, like it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be like authentic living. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes influencer marketing so unique and so special. Yeah. It's such a buzzy word and it's cliche, but like, I, I can't say enough how much authenticity matters, not only from a creator. Like if you're giving advice to people wanting to, to get started as a creator, the biggest thing isn't following a 10 step program to like launching, you know, your social channels. It's about thinking about what you genuinely love and what knowledge and passion you want to share with people. And if you don't have, it's not about the quality of your edit or like, you know, the, it's about the value that you're offering. And likewise, you know, so many agencies out there just churn through brand deals with influencers and they think, okay, we have, huge six-figure monthly budgets. We can pay, you know, a thousand influencers and this is going to drive returns. But again, if you're not thoughtful in why do you like this product and what, how do you think this would translate best to your audience? And how should we like approach this across which platforms and should it be multi-tiered? Like really bringing the creative into the process and making it collaborative 
is so much more authentic and it works. That's the funny part because yeah, performance marketing agencies will roll their eyes at that, but they're not getting the returns or the, the, the revenue from these hashtag ad cringeworthy, you know, yeah. authentic partnerships. So it really is that authenticity from the creator's like own point of view, but then also in terms of collaboration with brands, it's crucial. Even as an influencer, like trying to explain like why that caption is just not going to work. Um, it's so hard to like articulate and translate to businesses, like the difference between paying for a commercial versus paying for an influencer ad, I would argue, and maybe you agree, is like, it's the probably the biggest problem like I see in when working with brands because they don't understand that hiring an influencer is like hiring a real person still needs to be this like authentic level of like I'm just talking to my friends because that's the community I've built and so I think it's hard to articulate to some brands how and why that's valuable not only is it a ton of work, obviously there's a huge amount of work in, you know, curating the right partners and outreaching and negotiating and contracts and creative briefs. Like, yes, there's the workload, but so much of what we're doing is guiding them in that process and being the middleman and being able to talk to creatives and have that personal um, one-on-one and in allowing them to really translate it is, is crucial. Um, but also the longevity of relationships. So we're building out strategies for our clients of, you know, how can we engage an influencer? Maybe we gift them the product to start, see if they like it, base level. I mean, yeah. it's, it's hilarious people don't think about that, but like the, you have to like the product base level. Yeah. And then do you invite the the creative to an event at month two? And then do you do a like a, a paid collaboration at month three? And like, what is that longevity um, which I think is so important because we're guiding all of our clients and, and it leads to these really authentic, incredible ambassadors of the brand. But from totally. the creator side and agents, I think it's really important to be mindful of that as well, because so many times, you know, it'll be just about the dollar sign and a creative will walk away when they can't see that, like, we're, we're nurturing. This is a growing industry. The budgets are getting bigger and bigger and bigger for influencer work. And it's really about like, okay, I like this brand. I'm going to like start with a small scope project and then evolve it. And how can we continue to work together? Thinking about it long-term is so crucial for a creator to like build this into something sustainable in the long run. A hundred percent. There's so many little nuggets there. Like I could go off in like so many different directions, but I think like I was talking on TikTok like yesterday, like during a get ready with me about like five ways you can start working with brands. Mm -hmm. And one of them was like, you have to be able to accept free work sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I say, that like cautiously because I think like you should get paid for your work especially Mm -hmm. if you have an audience and like a engaged community you have to build relationships with brands too especially Mm -hmm. if you want to have a long-term career in this industry like one-offs will get you so far but I think like the from a business perspective like the big money is creating like lasting relationships with brands who want to develop a relationship with you. And so like, you may have to take like that free work at first, especially if there is like an authentic connection between you and you can kind of feel that they are like looking for that too. Mm -hmm. But like, it's worth it because not only are you going to develop a relationship with a brand, you'll probably grow to love and it will be fun to work with Mm -hmm. them. They'll probably eventually pay you and want to sign you at a long capacity. And, or you're going to get seen by another brand who's like, oh, this content is like really good. Let's hire her. Cause like, it looks good. 
Yeah, it's so funny. I had this exact conversation. Um, we, we hosted a, a digital panel a couple months ago, and we had Mariana Hewitt as our keynote. Wow. And her and I were chatting through this. And she said exactly that, where when she was just starting off, she would buy the products herself. She would post yeah. and take the brand. Then when she pitched to the brand, she showed five or six pieces of content, the quality of her work, her passion behind it, why she loves this particular cream. And she like attached all of it and said, Hey, listen, like, I love the product. I purchased it. Here's all the content that I've already created. We'd love to start a relationship. And from there, it, you know, maybe that was just the next step was them gifting her the product the next time around. Yeah. And then the next step was leading to an event and then paid it's that patience, but you're so right. I think so often I see this like impatience, to and, and I get it, it's it's very challenging, you know, as a, a full-time creator and freelancer, you're really you don't have that stability and in, in like a, yeah. a you know a salary guaranteed. So I understand that, you know, really there's that focus on paid work, but I think you can strike a balance of that totally. and also, you know, relationship building. You can feel from a brand when they're not like just like kind of tugging you around. Like you can mm-hmm. feel when they're actually like, look, we understand what you do, we love your content. We can't like pay you right now, but like no strings attached, just try this out. And if you love it, post it. And you can kind of feel that there's like a a mutual respect. I think it's just like a feel out situation, but it's so funny when I started, like I was posting about like everything I was already buying and had Mm -hmm. like people forget that like this job again, back to authenticity, like is based in just like vlogging and posting like the things you like and the things you love and how you're using it in your life. So why wouldn't you do that already? There's almost like this, like fake it till you make it thing that I talk about with people where it's like, act like you're already getting sponsored by all these people because you're buying it anyway and you're using it. And then people, when you do reach out to the brand or even a different brand, you can be like, look, I've already created content like this. So many creators think there's one linear path to become a, you know, very successful macro influencer. But the way that we're mapping out our strategies for clients is we're defining various different types of influencers. So, you know, there's a content creator who might have a thousand followers on TikTok, but they're exceptional at creating videos and engaging content, maybe a great photographer, and we'll engage those partners in a paid capacity for content creation, maybe not about posting to their channels, but there's a huge opportunity for that. Um, others we define as tastemakers. So this might be someone who, again, doesn't have huge reach, but they have offline influence. So we know if they're going to co-host an event with us, they're going to bring the right people into the room and they have the, the right impact and, you know, offline, which can be far more powerful even than online sometimes. So not getting too caught up in your numbers and your reach and, you know, these paid campaigns, but trying to think of all angles. Like, are you a fantastic photographer? Put together a, a, portfolio and pitch yourself to get some content collab opportunities. And, you know, if you are a great network and you have a great community, lean on that. So um, yeah. there's so many different ways to go about it. hundred percent. I think people get like caught up in like the followers and the engagement and they don't realize like how much impact and influence they have, like in general, as a good creator, you have to kind of figure out like where you sit and like be realistic about like where that position is. I have a lot of friends who like own businesses and they'll like pick my brain about like what kind of influencers should we be working with? Like blah, blah, blah. And I think you just have to figure out like, what's your mission? Like who are the creators who also align with you? And like, what kind of influencers are you going to like pick? It should be like a plethora of them. Like ones who have maybe 
good content creation skills, like you said, but then also ones who like are super ROI driven, like maybe Mm -hmm. they don't have the best content, but like, you know, they're going to get sales. So you have to kind of like acknowledge like which type of campaign you want to execute and like who's going to be good for it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that a lot of people don't know. And they're just kind of like, like I'll get reached out to about like campaigns for like moms like a mom product <laughs> and I'm like I literally don't have children like, oh, like, that's, that's just so like that's so sloppy that's what I'm saying about yes. the bubble like they're not doing yeah they're not they're basically going down a list which is just so unfortunate yes. I think that also so many times brands will come to us and they'll be like you know we we want to turn on this influencer engine and we hear it's like you know it'll just drive astronomical sales, which it will in time, but it's not overnight. It's not this magical fairy dust. And I think to your point, when you give advice to to early stage founders, there's a lot of testing and trying, like what cohort of influencer performs the best? And is it the, you know, affiliate more conversion driven influencer, or is it the tastemaker? Is it the content creator? And trying across different cities and locations and content styles and being willing to really test and try for at least three to six months to get an idea and then double down, but it's not something that within a month you're going to just gift or pay a hundred influencers and get this like massive amount of return from. So it has to be totally. thoughtful and, and kind of a long-term strategy. Totally. To that point too, like, I feel like I always try to communicate to like brands I'm working with as well. Like I feel like sometimes I'll finish a campaign and to me, like it performed really well. Maybe it didn't get as many sales as you want, but like, that's where we have to continue to discuss like a long-term partnership because Mm -hmm. realistically, like a follower who's been following me for years is not going to most likely purchase on the first time I'm talking about Mm -hmm. it. It's just not realistic. Like influencer marketing is like, I would consider a smart investment. Mm -hmm. Because you're essentially believing in the power of the influencer you're hiring to Mm -hmm. continue to integrate your product or piece of clothing or whatever into their everyday lifestyle. And I think that's probably why it's what you do is so important in the regard to like searching for the influencers, because you have to Mm -hmm. really make sure you're investing in the right person. But I find a lot of times that like brands are like, well, like we paid for one post, like why wasn't there more sales? Also it kills me because I've, you know, I've been at this for now, like over a decade. And so I've been fielding these questions from heads of finance or CEOs of, you know, we invested X amount. Why wasn't there a whatever ROI within promo codes that the influencers posted. Let's just like go back to the root of engine for two seconds. Think about it as a customer. Someone follows you, they see that you've posted about a new lipstick and they're like, okay, that's like, that's touch point number one. And now they're aware of that brand. Then they're walking down the street and they see a wheat pasting advertisement of the brand. They're like, oh, there it is again. That's cool. Wasn't that just what she was speaking about? And then they're listening to a podcast and they hear an ad from the brand and they're like, oh, wow, like three, four, five touch points, then they might actually go to the website and purchase. How the heck could they ever attribute that back to you, which you were the first one to introduce it to the customer, but like did someone swipe up or like sticker tap, type in their credit card information and purchase right then and there with that link and that promo code? It's just ludicrous. So yeah, so reminded, like, yes, there are direct sales like that with influencer and it's important to track that as one piece of the puzzle. But we look at our campaigns holistically and we say, you know, the money that you're putting behind Google search ads, for example, 
your SEO, is that becoming more efficient because we're increasing the brand awareness of the brand or the ad spend that you're putting behind an Instagram ad, is that getting more efficient because we're increasing the like organic buzz on Instagram? So you have to look at all the pieces of the puzzle and it just infuriates me when, and it must infuriate you too, when a brand's like, sorry, the promo code didn't really drive much. And you're like, what? That's like one yeah. piece of the puzzle, you know? Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And I yeah. think like that's what it is too. It's like brands, uh, even some PR companies and like, but I'll, yeah. I would say most of the time brands don't yeah. understand that like, like you said, like the way people shop, like a lot of people screenshot and then it just like for sits sure. in their camera roll for a while. And then they're like walking down the street and like someone else is wearing it or something. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. that girl posted about it. Now I'm going to go buy it. And they're not even going to go back to my page. They're literally just no. going to go to Safari, type it in and buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think there's like, there is a level of, I think, people not understanding like how the industry works. It's a, it is a lot of pressure when a brand is like, okay, send us your insights and how many sticker taps you have. And like, we're going to track like when your promo code was used. It's like, you've literally only paid me once. Like I'm, yeah. it's a lot of, uh, I want to say like hopefulness, like naive hopefulness to think that like, I just like sold out your product with like one story series. You know, it's tricky if a brand isn't educated on it, then it's tough to have those conversations. But, you know, we'll measure all of that. We measure every single back analytics, UDM track link through Google Analytics, promo codes for every creator partnership that we do. But we also look at qualitative, you know, like the creator will be like, look at these DMs I got about your product and they'll screenshot it. Or we'll see the comments on a TikTok post of like, this is the best ad I've ever seen. This is hilarious. Like, I'm going to buy you know, and sometimes the ads we do aren't even related to the product. It's just, you know, the brand and the products in the shot, but we're not pushing the like yeah. brand language and we'll see qualitatively that that is working uh, and people are purchasing. So yeah, I think, you know, as a creator, you can arm yourself with pulling your own data. And if you have that qualitative information to give, um, or even just like product feedback you can provide. Um, I think it's really valuable to offer that to a brand above and beyond just looking at, you know, the the promo redemption. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that's why it's so important, like back to authenticity, like why you have to like speak with a clear, authentic voice as a creator, mm-hmm. because yeah. then you aren't, when you go back to a brand, like there's nothing else you could have done. Like if right. you're doing something that doesn't align with you, then you're kind of just like, okay, well I screwed that up. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think like for me, the way I've been like so successful with creating a community is like, you just have to speak authentically about things and then speak authentically about things you don't like either. <laughs> Obviously right. don't speak authentic. Don't yeah. say you don't like a brand if you're working with them. But yeah. like, I think it's smart to like talk about like the things you dislike and like. I think it's why people like Emma, Emma Chamberlain are so successful or like mm-hmm. people on TikTok are so successful because they talk about the things they like and dislike. So from yeah. your perspective, like are there like key component things that you recommend to like the influencers you work with on creating and speaking authentically online? We're building out a new program basically to we're calling it dial in and we're allowing sort of creators and agents to dial in and kind of level up the industry with us. So basically, you know, we'll say in, um, in a sea of hashtag ads and like all of these cringeworthy partnerships, um, it's really the collaboration between brands and agencies and, and creators that help us, you know, build these authentic messages. And so, one of the things that we're doing when, when we're curating talent is we're asking them like, why? And it seems like the simplest thing, but before we consider 
um, an influencer to work with, you know, we want to hear from them. Like I've used your product for the last three months. I, I really loved the results of it. I've shared with my friends. Um, I candidly didn't love this product, but I really like this product. Like if you can demonstrate that authenticity um, in in your interest in partnering and also a creative angle. It's, I, I really love when uh, an influencer can come to the table with a really unique message or campaign idea, not just like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to hold it up. I'll speak your like key messages, hashtag ad, whatever that doesn't yeah. work. And it's not inspiring. I love when, you know, we'll, we'll tell um, an influencer, okay, this is the product they're launching. Here's the key messages that the brand wants to get across. What do you think would be interesting? And they'll say, oh, why don't we do, you know, a conversation with another uh, influential friend of mine and we can have a talk about it? Or why don't we do this on YouTube? Because it's more of a long form video and I can explain it greater. How about I integrate this into an event I'm hosting for my book launch and I can get my community. Like, I love it when a creator comes back with ideas and concepts and messages and we can work together um, so that's my biggest advice yeah. is to stand out is like, put the work in. We're doing thousands of campaigns a month, my team. And you'd be surprised how few creators will come back to us and say, Hey, like, you know, I, I may be small and just starting out, but I love this product. Here's why I have these three ideas that I think could really resonate well with my community. And I'd love to kickstart a relationship. We very oftentimes will, will do that. Yeah. Even if you have the perfect analytics and whatnot. Um, yeah. I always tell people that like make people's job easier. Like everyone wants their life to be easier. Like there are so many influencers now, like so many, like hundreds and thousands of them. Like tell them why they should work with you. Make it so Mm. incredibly easy. Like when I send a pitch, three ideas, bullet points, like this, this, this. And sometimes I'll even attach like a reel that performed well. That's like the exact same concept. And I'm just like, look, pick me. Take me, <laughs> like because exactly it's like you know what the the brand marketer is doing. They're thinking about the campaign idea. They're thinking yeah. about the platform. If you feed that to them on a silver platter, it's like great, done, booked. Influencers are starting to kind of get lazy yes. with like what the job like actually takes. And like I say that respectfully, but I just think like there's a level of like, oh, I have this following, like I shouldn't have to do any work. Yeah. Like they totally. should just present an idea to me and a budget to me and they tell me what to do and then I do it. But the core of what influencer marketing is, is in authenticity and like a community buying something or getting brand awareness or seeing content based on like you. And like, if you're not putting in the work to like come up with an idea that aligns with your Mm -hmm. lifestyle, like that's what influencing is supposed to be about. And people have forgot that. And like, there's a, this is a job and it's a hard job. Like people who say this isn't hard, like there's no competition between whose job is harder. People's jobs are different in different ways, but influencing is not easy because like you have to figure out ways to integrate like products into your authentic life in your authentic voice and make sure like you're doing a good job creating, selling and handling the partnership. And I think that part of it is kind of getting lost um, which is why I feel like a lot of people are just like kind of throwing money at influencers and then they're like, what, why is it not working? And I think on exactly. both sides, people aren't understanding Maybe. like how this type of ad is supposed to work. You're so right. And I think it's so interesting exactly what you said about this assumption that, you know, this industry is blowing up, there's money to be made. I'm just going to like send out my press kit and I'll just get 
thousands yeah. and thousands of dollars and that's it. Maybe you can, maybe you can get lucky, but I don't think people realize to your point how hard the work is. It's unbelievable. I've, I've been on so many trips with, with different OG influencers over the years. And like Marianne is a perfect case. I've never met someone more professional, more buttoned up. Everything is sent on time. So organized, so thoughtful. Olivia Lopez, I've known for years. She's like a creative director. She would spend hours editing her photos to make sure they have the right aesthetic and would align with the brand that she's, you know, working with. Shay Marie is like, she's like art directing a shoot when she's actually capturing content. She's like in there rolling up her sleeves on and on and on. Christelle Lim is like such an exceptional writer. She's very thoughtful in her like, you know, her partnerships and back in the day working together with her, she would be so thoughtful in getting the right information and crafting her blog posts. I mean, it's not a simple thing. And and the times when people are getting lucky and it is turnkey and it is simple and it is lazy, that's not sustainable. Like that's not how you build a long-term career. You might get lucky for six months, make a lot of money and that's it. But people remember that and these people that I just mentioned they stand out in my mind over 10 years in my career because they're so professional they take it seriously and that's why they are doing so well and they're so successful totally I I always tell people like if you want to do influencing content creation blogging like full-time like you should treat it like as a real business if you don't want to do like a normal nine to five like you have to treat this as a nine to five as well and like the reality is like you wouldn't just be able to like show up shoot one photo send it late like you would get fired of course so like I think there's a level of like not taking it seriously as a career influencers want to be taken so seriously yet they don't like take it seriously themselves um I think like I obviously take it very seriously and treat it as a business. I have a lot of friends who do as well, but I think like helicopter view, like kind of what's happening Mm -hmm. with like so many people blowing up now, it's like they think they don't have to work as hard and that this is like an easy way out to escape a hard job. When in reality, like this is a job too, and it's really hard and it takes a lot of dedication and effort and energy to like curate ads and content because the reality is you have to keep creating like organically to make sure that the ads are performing quote unquote organically totally. as well because right. it needs to like integrate yeah yes. but like it has to like flow I think the people who like do like do the one-off like whatever like kind of bullshit strategy mm-hmm. are the people with millions of followers like you can yeah. do that like yeah. when you're at that level if you really don't care and you don't want to like yeah. level up and you don't want to continue to like create like what I would call like this community empire from experience we would we would partner with the million follower person because you know we just thought oh my gosh we'd see how lazy it was for one or two over the years and then we'd see no impact I'm not just talking sales I'm talking like not a single new follower no engagement like no movement whatsoever yeah and we remember that so even if you are like the largest most established influencer to let it slip and just be like, oh, whatever. It It's such a small industry. Like, yes, yeah. it's massive. And yes, New York is like the biggest city in the world. And, you know, LA is a huge hub for influencer, but it's actually tiny. And people remember that. And I can specifically think of macro influencers I've never booked again because, you know, they were lazy with it. So, and I also will say 
to that point, I think it's so crucial when you get to that point to finding an agent to be equally as like stringent in finding an agent who's not lazy because there's a lot of very, very lazy agents as well who are not putting the effort in, who are just trying to turn through deals and make money. And we can feel that as well. And they're representing you as a creator. So it's Mm -hmm. so important that you have someone that is aligned with your values because it can do you a service. No, totally. And I think like even to a place I'm getting right now, like I'm starting, I think you have to be as a creator, you have to be really, really aware and strategic about like, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? Mm -hmm. Because it gets to a point where it's like, you can't do it all. I'm kind of feeling it right now. Like I'm Mm -hmm. so freaking tired. (laughs) Like I'm so tired. I like, I've been telling people, (laughs) I love this job so much, but I'm so tired. And I'm kind of getting to a point where I'm like, I need help. But like I've tried management companies and I'm not against it. It's just like, I know that my strength is pitching. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really good at pitching mm-hmm. and like in creating like concepts for brands. Like I know mm-hmm. how to sell myself. And mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes, like you said, like agents or management companies, like they kind of just like group everyone together and like pitch yeah. them out. Yeah. And I, I just know at least with the, where the place I am in regard to like my following count and like the engagement I'm getting, like, I want to make sure I'm the one selling myself because I know I can book a deal, but there's like other stuff that I'm like, I need help. Like editing content or like so many other things that you can, I love that piece of advice for people because they know your strengths. And it's the same for me as a business owner too. Like same with me. I, um, do all my new business pitching, all my new like um, opportunities to win new clients. Six years later, I could hire a salesperson, but I still do it myself because I can sell our company better than totally. anyone else. Totally. But then, yeah, like I just off I offloaded all of our accounting and our bookkeeping, and God, did that feel good? Like that is yeah. not my forte, and it was really like weighing me down and you know causing so many headaches. So I think that's really smart. Like it's not just one linear way to grow whether it be your creator career or an an agency or whatever it is, there's so many options, but it's knowing like what you're best at and what you're not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, even like, um, Alex Cooper, like of Mm -hmm. call her daddy, like she still edits all her episodes. Like she's like posted on TikTok the other day, like I'm editing all weekend, but it's probably because like she knows that no one can edit the way like she can, because like, even for me, people keep saying like, offload your podcast editing and I'm like there's no way I could do that like that would scare me because like I want to make sure I know exactly like what is coming out of my mouth Mm -hmm. um I get that like for everyone else like maybe they're more trusting or they're just not good at editing so they're like I need to offsource that but there's just so many different ways to like do this job but I think again it goes back to like just being true to yourself where do you feel like your voice needs to be like heard whether that's like kind of digitally through your editing or like maybe through talking to brands, maybe you're like only doing posting and you have a team doing the rest. I think there's Mm -hmm. like a level of just communication and trial and error. Like you said, like same with like working with brands, um, brands trying to figure out like what influencers use. It's just like trial and error, this whole industry. Cause like you said, it's like wild, wild west. (laughs) It is. It's so insane. But I think there's something really cool um, that you've just really spoke on in this episode about like understanding as a brand or as a creator, like what kind of creator you are, like what do you call it? Like tastemaker, content creator, and like kind of three main um, categories, but like a digital content creator. So it's their full-time job is managing their social channels and um, 
and, and post in writing blogs and whatnot. So that's their full-time career. The second bucket being tastemakers. So it might be like a founder or an activist or an athlete that have amassed a following, but this isn't their full-time job. And then yeah. the third being an expert. So a dermatologist, a doctor, a nutritionist, um, again, like they've amassed a following because of their knowledge, but it's not their full-time career. And so from a marketer's perspective, the way we approach campaigns in all three categories are entirely different because you wouldn't, the way that you wouldn't pitch a brand identical the same way we wouldn't pitch a content creator, the exact same as like a doctor who's on YouTube, you know? So there's a very yeah. different strategy and approach. Um, and I think it's important to like, as much as for marketers to know that approach and, and be thoughtful for creators to know, you know, how they define themselves and what's your strength and how can you like differentiate yourself from the others. Totally. And I think even as like a digital creator, like there's like strands off that too. Like you said, mm-hmm. like you have to understand, are you like more of a content creator? Are you more of like the person, you know, you have good engagement, like you're going to be an ROI. Or are you more of a tastemaker or are you kind of a little bit of all three? I think there's like a benefit to trying to be in like each category. Like for me, like I know, like, I really, really care about like the quality of my content. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. going to put up shitty content. I think it pays off in the long run Mm because then like slow month with engagement, I'm still getting hired for UGC content Mm -hmm. opportunities. And then I think being a tastemaker in your community is so important too. Like I, so for instance, I just got um, a campaign with this beverage company. They're just being so cool about the entire thing. You can tell they like care about like this being integrated authentically, but like, Mm. it's so cool. Cause I feel like the, I can see from their perspective, like why they picked me. And I think there's like really something special about that. Like they did enough research to know, like, we're going to incorporate you in this campaign because like, we know you love this beverage. We know that like you are going to encompass like the vibe we're looking for, Mm -hmm. but also like as a part of the deal that we have, they want me to like send PR to like all of my best friends, like, Totally. And they like did their research. I feel like I could tell and knew that I was like well connected yes. in the space to like make sure that their product is being seen by like a ton right. of eyes because like I have been in the industry for a while and like I do yeah. have some really good friends who like I've made authentic connections with who I know will post on their story because they're friends with me. So it's just like, yeah. it's really cool when you can see like a brand that like really cares or a PR company that like really cares. But on top of that, like did the research it took to like make this a really good match because you know, and are excited. Like think of how much better your content, the time, the like thoughtfulness you're going to put into that partnership because they did, they did their due diligence. They did their research. They were thoughtful. They were creative. They give you the, like the freedom to interpret it. You're going to blow it out of the water. You're going to be thoughtful. You're going to do such a great job versus if a brand's just like, you get a blanketed email, like, hi there. Yeah. And hi there. Hi there. With like, please post do, do, do you're, you're going to do the bare minimum. Like you're not yeah. going to phone it in, but you'll do the bare minimum. You don't care. It's not a relationship you want to build. So all the more reason for brands to recognize the importance, this is a relationship game. And if totally. you want the quality content and collaboration out of a creator, you got to step up and, and, you know, do your, your research. Yeah. I think a lot of times too, like, and I get this because I'm total control freak as well, but like, I feel like brands don't are too scared to like take the risk to like, let the creator have the creative control. 
But then when you tell someone, especially like a creative in general, whether it's like an artist or an influencer, like anyone in a creative field, when you tell them how to do their creativity, like they're just going to like, they're going to pout. Like they're just not going to do the best job they could because they're not creating from like an aligned place. And so like, even like I did a campaign like this year, like loved the brand, like love the product, but like they wouldn't really like budge on like creative freedom or like mm-hmm. what images I wanted to choose or like what yeah. caption I wanted to say. And that's no hate to them. Like they, they were working with a brand who was like really stubborn about it, like the PR mm-hmm. company. And they were like, we're sorry, yeah. you just have to do this. But like, yeah. I knew it yeah. wasn't going to like perform to its potential because they weren't taking the risk and letting me have that creative freedom, especially when I love the brand. 100%. And it doesn't have to be a risk. Like that's why I keep talking about the curation process. Like we are so thoughtful of picking the influencers for our clients' campaigns. And we're, we're like really analyzing, okay, do they love the product? Who do they speak to? Is their aesthetic right? What's their voice like? What other kind of brands do they align with? Is it make sense? Is it brand aligned? If we do all that work up front, then it should be free reign. You should be able to do whatever you want because we've done our job to make sure the risk is when, you know, someone's off brand, they don't have the right aesthetic, their voice isn't correct. And you have to like handhold them and micromanage them to get it right. If you actually take the time to curate the right list of collaborators, it should just be completely, you know, in the hands of the creator kind of going back to what I was talking about, like this job is like hard. There are so many different, like truly the wild, wild west. There are so many different things. And most of these creators that you're working with, I would assume are like not influencers with like huge teams, like maybe some of them, but like a lot of them I would say are like by themselves, like I am. And like, it is so much energy already to like have to handle the editing, the shooting, the admin, the like invoicing, whatever. Like Mm -hmm. it just makes it so much easier. Um, to get a campaign done and finished and executed properly and like not so much back and forth because it's already hard Mm. enough like balancing and Mm. I'm sure like you could speak to this too like balancing the other side as well like there's just so many moving parts yeah 100% 100%. how do you balance just this lifestyle like of running this company dealing in the influencer space like it's so freaking crazy so many moving pieces and I know you're bi-coastal too which you are bi-continental Yes, by continental in the sense that, um, so my husband's French, we live in New York, we met in New York, and for three and a half years, I was living between New York and Paris, flying back and forth every six weeks. This is before I had my baby, so we have now settled down, we're, we're in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. Wow. That's home base. We still go to France like four times a year and very much that's part of our life, but um, yeah, I was doing the bi-continental life, and while running dialogue, while running, you know, growing my team... Um, and honestly, my answer to that is just, I'm so incredibly grateful and lucky to have the team that I do of such dedicated, passionate people. And I'm also proud, you know, that I've created, um, an environment where I really help them develop individual growth plans. So there's not this like old school agency model of like, you start here, then you go up the ladder. Like, I'm really, what is your zone of genius? What are you most passionate about? Are you an amazing negotiator? Are you great with client relationships? Or do you like systems and backend, like, you know, analytics and helping them kind of form ways to grow each individually. And I found that like doing that for each, there's, they're more fulfilled, they're more passionate. 
Um, and, you know, and as a whole, we're stronger because we have now people that are focusing on different areas of the business in a sense. So I think over time, um, tomorrow is actually my six year anniversary of dialogue, which is nuts. So wow, congratulations. Thank you. I, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've, you know, fumbled along the way, but I think that really investing and believing in my team has allowed me to have this balance because it is crazy. Like we're the amount of campaigns and negotiations and contracts and deals and gifted campaigns and seeding hundreds of thousands yeah. per month. Um, it's a lot, but I think it's a combination of having a really amazing team that I give, you know, the freedom. A lot of them, you know, are working, they work remote, they have flexibility, um, you know, they have great benefits. I trust them. Um, and also just, I think, you know, we fine tuned a way to systematize this in a way that doesn't take away from the human connection. So we're so focused on that one-to-one personalized connection, but we've also developed software and ways to automate some of the things, whether it be invoicing or like sample, like sending or, you know, like sending tracking information and whatnot. So it's evolved over time, but I'm proud to say I have like a really nice balance of it now. Yeah. I feel like it's awesome. And that's when like trial and error comes in. You kind of just have to like experiment. Mm -hmm. Cause like for me too, like that human connection is so important, especially when creating relationships and like probably you the same when you're working with influencers, like you want to feel like you have a personal relationship, but also it's unrealistic to think that like you can just have these like intimate conversations with like the thousands of influencers so I think like even like telling like I tell people like have a pitch outline like something you can easily copy and paste but there should be a space where you can you know give the like personalized ideas and like your personal vision there's ways to like have a human connection but also make your life easier and like balance slightly exactly what we did 100% yeah I feel like a lot of people listening to this are going to be super inspired from like the creative and brand aspect, but like also like maybe women who want to start their own business. Like you said that like you've never, you never really like had that entrepreneurial itch. You just like felt like there was a space you needed to fill. Like, where do you think like that confidence came from? Because I feel like a lot of times, especially like women trying to create companies or like wanting to start these big things. I think I say women because I feel like we struggle a lot with like the confidence aspect and like the Mm -hmm. limiting beliefs. How would you say like you overcame that? Because I would say now you're probably so thankful that you didn't listen to like the little doubts in your head because you have this successful company. It's funny. I was just talking at my guest lecture and saying that like, if like Netflix came tomorrow and offered me like $10 million salary and like the CMO global position, I would never leave. Like I would never go in-house ever again. I'm so grateful to be my own boss and to have my flexibility. Um, And I I really, really, really love it. But I think the biggest piece of advice I got along the way is the importance of being patient and building the building blocks to get you to a place where you have a strong foundation to go out on your own or start your own thing. And, you know, I was really impatient. I was in a agency. uh, I was in an industry that was growing rapidly. I had all this expertise at a very young age, like early twenties. I was the one in the room talking to the CEO about social media because nobody above me had any idea. So I had this itch to like grow really rapidly, but over time I put in my time and I, I did my, you know, I did various roles to learn pieces of the puzzle from strategy work to performance marketing, to PR side of things, to working at an agency, understanding client relationships, understanding new business. Like I really took my time to build that foundation. So when I did start dialogue, I had so much confidence in myself because I really believed 
that I had the building blocks in place and it didn't feel like this really scary risk. Not to say that you have to know everything because Lord knows I did not know everything and I made so many mistakes along the way, but at least having that like foundational knowledge and experience um, in whatever it is that you want to do. So I think like being a little bit patient with yourself and don't put this pressure that you have to like launch this grandiose thing for others to see what matters is like building it slowly over time and it evolves into something that you can be really proud of. But I think I see so many times people launch something with a huge splash and it's all about what everybody else is like thinking of it. And they don't have the, like the foundation in place to actually be successful with it. So yeah. um, Yeah. That's sort of my, my biggest piece of advice just to kind of be patient and, and build those building blocks to make sure that you have the knowledge and experience and relationships to make it work. I love that you said that because I think like confidence in like the knowledge you already have but like humbleness to like accept more education and be able to like humble yourself enough to like learn as well because you're gonna mess up I feel like the thing that I struggle with a lot especially in the beginning I struggled with like believing that like I had the like intelligence to like pitch like you know what I mean like I've never been scared to like sell myself or like reach out to people I think a lot of people have a hard time with that mm-hmm. and I hope my advice to that is always just like just do it the worst they can say is no <laughs> nothing to lose yeah but I think there's like a level of like especially for me like I've started to take on like a very exclusive amount of clients for like consulting like just teaching people like how mm-hmm. social media works and stuff because like why not yeah. um, I know so much about it my problem, which I've had to like remind myself of is that like, you know how to do this, like be confident, like talking to these people about what you know, like you've done this for six years, like you, Mm -hmm. you know how to do it, you've learned, you've grown. And I think people are sometimes just scared to like, articulate, like the knowledge, or they're worried that they're not going to come off like smart or intelligent. And I think that's just something you have to get over and like get more confident with in time. Yeah. And and you get more confident by making mistakes, like the amount of times I was nervous or scared. I mean, I've been in pitch rooms with Chanel Beauty and like dream clients, you know, and yeah. and thinking I wasn't worthy and like not capable. And then you just realize that like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you're speaking to and what opportunities, like you have value to offer and just having yeah. that confidence of knowing like that in believing in yourself. But I think that comes with time, like be kind to yourself because it's okay to be nervous and doubt it, you know? Yeah. And I think people are kind of scared to like ask questions too. And I think that's why going back to like being authentic and making connections is so important mm-hmm. because I feel like I've now in a sphere where I know I could like call up someone and be like, what do you think about this contract? Like, I have no idea, like if this makes sense or if I'm getting ripped off or if like, this is a good rate. Like, I think that's where like authentic, authenticity gets like forgotten a lot of times like people want to do favors and help out people who are showing up authentically for them percent. and also give those favors in return like so many people yeah. like I'm not gonna show up at that launch party or like I don't want to I'm not I don't have time to get on a call or go for coffee it goes both ways like you can't just yeah. like take people like show up and give your knowledge and share your knowledge with others and it always comes back full circle totally I think that's another thing with influencers like people get a little bit like um and I'm like we're all guilty of it like everything is so busy but like I feel like a lot of people will be like oh I'm not going to that like it's not even like a big deal or like that brand has never paid me or like Mm -hmm. whatever and it's just like 
sometimes it's just like worth it to like show face and like show that you care. Another piece of advice Mariana told me in our chat. She's like, I used to go to every single PR event in LA and I would like find the PR contact. I would go up and shake their hand, make sure they saw me. And she hustled. Like she's not just like founder of a massive company, a huge macro influencer for nothing. Like it really matters. And to your point, like just because a brand hasn't paid you once, if you show up and show that you're there and supporting them, they'll pay you. Totally. Totally. I even like, I went to an event like last week and like, obviously always try to go find my contact and like say hi. And uh, again, a lot of times influencers don't like, they just go in for like the free drink and food, which is so interesting to me. Cause to me, it's like, this is like, a business event like Mm -hmm. this is me like this is like I have to show face like this is work this is not like play and I think that it's fun when it can be both but Mm -hmm. like I literally went and like saw the owner of the entire company and like I've never spoken to her before Mm -hmm. I just know her face because Mm -hmm. I've seen her and like I marched right up to her and said something like of course I was scared that she was gonna be like why are you talking to me? But like, it ended up like being this great conversation. She gave me her email contact. Like she wants to like talk and like, whatever it's like, just take your chance. Like act like you care because you probably do. And you're just scared or like, you just think it's not your place to like, go talk to the founder of the entire company because you just were invited by an influencer contact. But like, if you want your business to be treated as such, like you have to take it seriously. Totally. Oh, I love it. Yes, such a good conversation. Love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. So the last thing I always ask people, and I feel like you kind of already answered it, but like I always ask people since the podcast is called How I See It, like Mm -hmm. looking back at your journey and like everything you did to get to where you are now, starting your company, now celebrating six years, which is so Mm -hmm. cool. Like, how do you see it? Like, how do you see the journey? Like, what would your little takeaway be? How I see it is that it's a journey and it's not a destination. Like, the I've worked with a business coach for the last three years. And I, when I first worked with him after three years, I was like, this is as good as it's going to get. Like I can't grow much more. Uh, I will never be able to, you know, have anyone else do the strategy work and nobody else is going to be able to manage clients. And then the next year I was, you know, being, I was able to find someone exceptional that could lead that. And then the next year I grew even further. And so I think knowing that it's a journey and having the patience that it's not going to, you know, take off, skyrocket day one but just really builds upon itself over time um it's pretty beautiful and it gives me like inspiration from like what's next like yeah I'm gonna look back in three years and laugh at how like I thought this was the 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 top of the pyramid and there's so much more so I love that you said that I think it's really easy to get like wrapped up in like the negative side of that coin, which is like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know where this is and I want it to be this, but it doesn't feel like that anymore. And I feel like we get caught up in these like anxiety spirals, especially when you're an entrepreneur, it's like, it's so on you and it's so personal because it's like yours. And like, especially as a creator, like it's literally my business is like me. So Mm -hmm. it's very hard to separate personal from professional, but I think like being able to like remind yourself, like there's a positive side to this coin, which is that like life is exciting and like you never know where it's going to go. You don't know. It's really, really cool. Please drop your socials so people can follow your personal journey and follow dialogue. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dialogue NYC is our our Instagram. I'm Julianne Fraser on, on Instagram, just all one, one word. And yeah, we'd love to connect with anybody who, who wants to chat. Yeah, I'll put everything in the description too, but thank you again so much. Okay. So great chatting with you. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you leave here feeling motivated and inspired. Do not forget to rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to follow How I See It Pod so you can keep up with podcast updates and see who's coming on next. And if you're not already, come join the fam and follow at How Hand Sees It. Thank you guys.